from Kurtco Media. A private trip to a polar extreme aboard an ice-breaking superyacht. Today we'll hear from an expedition leader whose journeys to the far corners of the earth might just be the ultimate luxury adventures. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. everybody, and welcome to Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences, and we meet some of the fascinating people who make them possible. Now, of all the extraordinary adventures that we cover on Travel That Matters, I can't think of anyone that can top the types of trips that we're going to talk about today. My guest is Ben Lyons, who is the CEO of a company called EOS Expeditions. EO specializes in what's known as expedition yachting, which basically means traveling by super yacht into some of the most extreme and spectacular destinations on the planet. We're talking about going deep into places like Antarctica, the Arctic, and Papua New Guinea, and exploring them completely on your own terms. No set schedules or tours or meal times or any of that stuff. It is your own private journey aboard a luxury vessel in some of the most extreme conditions on Earth, where you can get up close with orcas, polar bears, penguins, and much, much more. Ben personally leads a lot of these journeys, and we're going to talk to him today about some of his own adventures as well as the best destinations for expedition yachting. But we're also going to hear from him about some of his firsthand observations and how he is personally witnessing the significant changes taking place in our polar regions. This is going to be a lot of fun. So let's set sail on an extreme adventure with EOS CEO, Ben Lyons. Ben, great to have you on Travel That Matters. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. There's so much I want to talk to you about. But first, I just want to start with chartering a yacht it's an ultimate experience, right? And chartering a yacht in the types of places that you guys go takes it to a whole different level. Give me a quick anecdote about a time and experience on, on one of your trips that was just beyond compare. One, like even you were blown away by this moment. I think the one that first comes to mind was we were on a yacht in Antarctica and it was New Year's Eve. And we sailed through the Le Maire Passage and we just sort of kept going and we hit a significant amount of ice but it was something that the yacht that we were on, which is a converted icebreaker, was able to handle really comfortably. And we just kept sailing south and further south and further south until we were really surrounded by, by just ice everywhere on this most beautiful, pristine day. You know, bluebell skies, not a breath of wind, dramatic mountaintops sort of all around you. And eventually we, we got to the point where we just kind of stopped the ship and the guests just went out on deck and they spent the rest of the day and into New Year's Eve just being outside, taking in the moment. And it was just one of those moments I think you sort of look back upon and think, God, what, what, how remarkable was it that, that you get to do this? How remarkable is it that you get to spend New Year's Eve surrounded by ice in the Antarctic Peninsula with absolutely nobody else around? That ability to get away from the crowds and to be able to have that moment all to yourselves is something I want to talk to you about because I think that's a huge component of what you guys do. But let's step back and 
talk about how we got here. Like th- this is a, a real niche market here. Like <laughs> it's not a career that you just kind of happen upon. It's how did you get into the business of expedition yachting? Well, I have to say that I have been obsessed with ships my whole life, ever since I was five years old. And I ended up going to the Merchant Marine Academy to, to become an officer on ships. And I ended up working on cruise ships. And I ended up spending five years as an officer on board the Queen Mary II. And then at the same time, I was doing travel writing. So I was going to different destinations, going on different ships and writing about them for magazines or websites, so forth. And I ended up taking a trip to Galapagos. And this trip, I think, kind of changed the trajectory because all of a sudden I was on a small ship filled with really interested, curious passengers with these expedition staff that were there to sort of explain and provide enrichment and to really give a new level of insight to the destinations that you're going. And it wasn't about the ship. It was about the destination. It was about learning. It was about this sort of sense of discovery. And and I think that kind of woke me up to realize like, oh my God, look what you can do if you use the ship as a platform to do something else, right? It's not about the ship, but it's using the ship as a platform for, for understanding, for enrichment and for, for excitement. From there, I ended up taking a trip to Antarctica as a travel writer, and I just loved it so much. Right away, it was kind of magical in in, in so many different ways that I decided to quit my job on the Queen Mary II, and I went to work for uh, an expedition cruise line for uh, Lindblad Expeditions and National Geographic. I love that, the focus on the activities, the destination, rather than the focus on the ship, which, you know, Cunard is is definitely something where it's all about the ship, right? Of course, (laughs) <laughs> the ships that you're on now actually do really, <laughs> really matter. But so, okay, Adios, what are some of the things that you can do so much differently than than you would have been able to do with with even with Lindblad, a smaller expedition company? You know, I think some of the, so much that what our clients value is is choice, right? I mean, it's the ability to kind of dictate the experience that you want. You're not dependent upon what 100 or 150 other people are doing. It's really your trip in in a completely customized way. Who are the guides that you have on board? Where are you going to go? What's your focus going to be? Even what time do you want to go ashore? How long do you want to stay there? Do you want to, you know, add another two days in one spot just because it magically captures you? It's that ability to to dictate and tailor your own experience. And I think that's one of the key components of any truly extraordinary travel experience is to be able to shape it to the moment and shape it to what you personally want to do. And I think, well, you already gave us an example with the you know, New Year's Eve and, and getting away in a, a magical stretch of ice. But th- tell me another one, like some time when you were able to just kind of spontaneously change course and it led to just some spectacular occasion. What I would say about spontaneity is it's the ability to sort of... Uh, react to the wildlife and to the weather that's there, right? And and I'm thinking of another wonderful moment in Antarctica where it was probably 11 o'clock and we had set sail. We were heading north along the peninsula when all of a sudden, you know, we saw killer whales. And rather than sort of keep going, rather than sticking to a schedule, we said, oh my God, let's let's see what these whales do. And guests were just finishing dinner. We got them all out on, all out on deck and the whales sort of responded in this most incredible way. They just ended up coming right behind us on the stern of the ship. And this was a yacht that had a swim platform, so you could be right down at the water level. And the killer whales sort of came right up to us. And they ended up following the ship. And we sort of kept course. We didn't change anything. And these guys got, just got so incredibly close that you felt like you could reach out and touch them. And we actually at one point sort of you know stopped the ship so that we could be sure that we weren't disturbing them, that we weren't, you know, there was nothing that we were doing that was influencing their behavior. And they, they ended up, 
going away, swimming away. And so he said, okay, that was an incredible encounter. It was wonderful. And then we put the ship back into gear. We ended up, you know, sailing forward and the whales came right back as soon as we put the ship back into, into motion. And they loved apparently the, the sound of the propeller, the wake to play in. And they just spent the next 30 minutes with us all within almost arm's reach. And everyone was elated and energized. Magical moments like that are why people are drawn to EOS expeditions. The company started as a service for yacht owners, helping them to outfit their boats for extreme conditions and then leading them into the polar regions. Today, EOS also offers yacht charters for people who don't have their own boats, but still want to experience these ultimate adventures. So somebody comes to us without a yacht, wants to know, you know, what's a good yacht to, to go with? And we can tell them from our experience, you know what? We've been on yacht X, Y, or Z multiple times. We know the captain, we know the, the crew. This is an incredible yacht. And we arranged the whole experience from chartering the vessel to providing the guides, to providing the itinerary, sort of trying to take care of, of everything from, from A to Z. We also are design consultants. So sometimes owners come to us and say, you know, I want to take my yacht to an unusual destination, or I want to build a yacht to go and be really well-suited, well-built for expeditions. How can you help us design the yacht? So many times we get on these private yachts and there are compromises. You know, the owner wants to have a certain experience, but he comes to realize or she comes to realize that the yacht isn't actually built for that, or there are limitations within the vessel's design. Of course, just ice classifications. How capable is the yacht actually operating in ice? You know, how strong is this, is the steel? What is the, the distance between the frames and the hull of the ship? Or what is the visibility from the bridge so that you can actually navigate more successfully in the ice? And of course, you want to be in the ice. That's where the real magic happens, right? You said the ice is where the magic happens. Tell me about that for a second. I know we've already heard the New, the New Year's Eve example, but what is it about ice that, that creates these magical moments? I've been to Antarctica, I don't know, 30, 40 times, something like that. And I feel like once you've seen your first 200,000 penguins, you know, you've, you've kind of seen them all. I, I love penguins. They're, they're wonderfully charming, cute, charismatic. I, I still get excited seeing them every year. I've never, I've never seen a penguin before. It's actually <laughs> high on my list. I need to see a penguin. So they're, they're wonderful. And I don't want to diminish the appeal of penguins at all. But after you've seen your first 200,000, you know, the 200,000 and first <laughs> is, is not this. that different, right? But what is remarkable to me is the ice because it comes as an incredible variety of colors and textures and shapes, everything from, you know, crystal clear to sort of the deepest blue that you'd ever imagined. And it can be as small as like a baseball up to icebergs that are 17 miles long, you know, that we've come across on, on our trips. And it's just something magical and compelling and otherworldly about it, that it's, it has a real fascination for me. And I think it's what draws people back and back and back, because it's just something that is so different from people's day-to-day -day existence. And of course, ice is the, the whole fabric of the existence in terms of wildlife in the polar regions. And, you know, if you're up in the Arctic, there's, there's no more kind of incredible experience than having the ship wedged in the ice and a polar bear seeing the ship from miles away. And you watch that polar bear start coming across the sea ice slowly and deliberately making its way towards you until it gets right up to the bow of the yacht, you know, and you're having this incredibly intimate encounter with a polar bear on its natural environment. Okay, you brought up the Arctic now, and tell us quickly, I, I think a lot of people don't know, is what is the difference between a trip to the Arctic 
and a trip to Antarctica. Like, tell us a little bit how they're different and then kind of what appeals to you about both destinations. Yeah. I mean, obviously, just right off the bat, the simplest, uh, you know, thing to know, Antarctica, penguins, the Arctic, polar bears. Let's just get that, you know, out of the way right there. And you don't get sick of seeing polar bears, I'm guessing. You don't get sick of seeing polar bears because everyone is a unique encounter. Everyone is sort of this, you know, magnificent creature that's clearly the master of its environment, right? A polar bear encounter is perhaps the singular most exciting element that, that you can have on one of our trips. But they're actually very different, the Arctic and the Antarctic. The Antarctic is kind of an abundance. It is hundreds of thousands of penguins. It's seals everywhere. It's these towering peaks that are just weighted down with, you know, years and years and years of snow. You know, you, you know where you're going to find these penguins. You know where you're going to find whales too. It's, it's, you go from spot to spot to spot where you have these incredible encounters, but it's quite predictable because there is such an abundance of life in the Antarctic. You go up to the Arctic, it's more of a, a safari, so to speak. It's kind of like a hunt where you're looking for these wildlife encounters. You know, you might spend hours or days scanning the ice looking for a polar bear. And it just makes it that much more rewarding when you do see one. And of course, the other big thing that's different in the Arctic, especially in, in Canada and Greenland, is that there is Inuit communities and local communities that you can go visit, that you can learn about, and you can have this sort of cultural interaction. There's a cultural element that's in the Arctic that isn't in the Antarctic. Right. And so tell us a little bit about that. I mean, when you're visiting areas, are, are these places that a lot of typical cruise ships, not that they're typical cruise ships going to the Arctic, but a lot of these communities that you guys can get to, are they not really accessible by other, you know, other ships? You know, I think the, the truth of the matter is that, yes, some of the communities that we visit are visited by, by other expedition passenger ships, no doubt about it, especially the ports that we are using to start off the adventures and the expeditions and then, you know, to fly into and fly out of. But of course, we do have that added flexibility to, to go into smaller communities and to sort of have less of an impact, I think. So now with getting to Antarctica, I mean, there's the, you know, the famous crossing of, of Drake's Passage that everybody dreads. And I, I you know, you've, I'm sure you've done it many, <laughs> many times, but, but do most of your clients, do they do that or do they fly down and meet you down there? How, do, how does that work? Personally, I love the Drake Passage. I mean, I'm a captain, <laughs> I'm a mariner at heart, right? So I love the two days uh, crossing the Drake, the variability of weather, watching the albatross follow the ship. I think it's an amazing experience and it really highlights kind of how remote you're getting, you know, and that you, you, you have the experience of seeing your first penguin and then your first iceberg and then your first set of land marks. You know, I, I love that. But understandably for a lot of our clients, the idea of being potentially seasick for two days uh, down and two days back and then taking that time away from the office, it's just not particularly appealing. So for probably 90% of our clients now, we actually fly them down into Antarctica and they board the yacht at King George Island. So what that means is the clients have to get down to Chile. The, they fly from Punta Arenas and they get on a, a chartered plane that's specially equipped to land on a gravel military runway in the Antarctic. And then from there, they are able to take a Zodiac right out to their yacht. There's no dock, um, so the yachts are still at anchor. And it's all weather dependent. I mean, that's the, the challenge. It's, this is not flying into New York City. This is still flying to Ant Antarctica. So you know what? You know There, there might be delays uh, with, with fog. There might be delays with wind or weather. And that kind of adds to the mystique of, uh, of traveling there. 
Even EOS can't control that. <laughs> yes, you, you, you'll get there when you get there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Ben Lyons to hear about some of his favorite spots beyond the poles for expedition yachting. On medicine, we're still practicing. Join Dr. Stephen Tabak and Bill Curtis for real conversations with the medical professionals who have their finger on the pulse of healthcare in the modern world. Available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Produced by Kurt Co. Media. Welcome back to my chat with EO CEO Ben Lyons. Okay, so tell us a couple places outside of the polls that you'd like to go. I think outside the polls, one of the areas that is really attracting interest right now is Melanesia. You know, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu. These are still areas that are relatively far removed from the typical tourist trap where you can still have these wonderfully authentic um, cultural encounters where you can have a whole variety of activities, you know, World War II history, the local culture, incredible diving, uh, just beautiful scenery. You know, these are these are destinations that kind of have it all in a very authentic not used to tourism manner. And that is that ability to, when you guys come in and there are only 12 people on board or, or, or whatever it is, it's a much different experience in these communities than, than when you're coming on. There's 200 or 2,000 in some cases, people downloading off the ship. Tell, tell us a little bit how you're received by these communities sometimes. And is it different from what your experience was with Lindblad or, or Cunard? You know, I think oh, well, certainly different from the, than the larger ships. You know, these are just opportunities that don't exist on the larger ships at all, of course. And I think it's a lot of it's about the pace, right? On a yacht, you can go and stay well into the evening. You can stay the next day. You stay two or three days if you want to. Your experience is not limited to just a, a couple hours. First Zodiac ashore is at 8.30. You need to be back on board at 11.30 and lunch is at noon. Instead, you sort of can linger. You can integrate yourself with these communities in a different way. You know, I think of a, a client who chartered with us in Papua New Guinea for three weeks. And, you know, they ended up spending this wonderful evening ashore in this community, bonfires with the, all the locals, just stretching well into the night. And it was, it was a dialogue. It was, an, you know, it was a different level, I think, of understanding and interaction than you'd otherwise get. For clients who maybe aren't quite ready for Antarctica or the Arctic or, you know, you mentioned some ships just aren't quite prepared for those places too. Or, you know, New Guinea might be a little extreme to get a taste of the What's a good place for a client who's interested in expedition yachting, but maybe not quite ready for, for the more extreme destinations? Two destinations come to mind right away. First is, is Scotland. The Hebrides and uh, Western Isles in Scotland are absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, and they have so much to offer. There's these sea cliffs that are also teeming with with birds and with wildlife, uh, just thousands and thousands of these birds taking off, going to flight, coming back. You see it's like a it's like Times Square, but for birds, you know, coming and going this mass uh, of animals. There's history in terms of, you know, old castles and ruins. It's in, really an area that's very inaccessible by land. You know, you can't drive from island to island or you can't drive through some of these more remote peninsulas in Scotland. Another destination is, is is Norway, you know. You get up to northern Norway, you are getting actually above the Arctic Circle. But yet you still have communities, you still have roads, you still have infrastructure. But it's also not hard to sail 20, 30 miles down a fjord and disembark the yacht and go off on a hike or go take a kayak out and just be totally amongst yourself, you know. And I think that's 
that's one of the great things that we can offer. And we talked about it just at the beginning is this ability to be out by yourself, to not have people around. And it's an incredible feeling of privilege to be in these areas and to not have the crowds. So that privilege, though, it does come with a certain amount of risk, right? I mean, there, there are certainly safety issues. Clearly, you guys are the pros at this. But tell me a little bit about what the biggest risks are that you face in, in expeditions like this and then how you guys mitigate those risks. The biggest risk that we end up facing, of course, is just the remoteness, right? That you have to be self-sufficient. It isn't that if something goes wrong, you can just pick up the, the phone and call somebody and, and you'll have help within 15 minutes. It's an entirely self-sufficient organization and operation. So you have to be prepared from the start. It takes a lot of planning, a lot of organization to make sure that in case something does go wrong, you have the capability to, to handle it. You know, we never want to put a vessel in a position that is greater than its capabilities. And that sort of engagement with the yacht six to nine months ahead of time really gives us that sense of what the yacht can and can't do. So with all these trips that you've done to Antarctica and, and the Arctic, are you noticing a difference over the past several years? You know, there's a lot of talk about how climate change is affecting these areas, these very sensitive areas. What are you seeing? And, and, and is it something you can just see with your own eyes? Yeah, it absolutely is. Of course, you don't necessarily see it from year one to year two. There are seasonal variations, but we're now at the point, you know, where I personally have been going to Antarctica long enough or the Arctic long enough, and I'm talking with my colleagues who have been going for 20 or 30 years. It's, it's evident. Of course, there are changes that you can see. It's anywhere from glaciers that 10, 15 years ago were a mile further out. You know, they've now receded a, a mile back. Or it's simply the season. I mean, I think what's the most incredible things is that, you know, nobody used to be going to the Antarctic in October or going to the Arctic in, in May, but now that's becoming common. You know, there's not as much ice that is prohibiting travel there. Yeah, there's just the, the, the window, the availability to travel to these regions is, is wider now because of climate change. It's very easy to see. And I spent um, my actual last trip to Antarctica, we spent several days just with rain coming down. You know, and that's extremely unusual, you know, to, to have several days of rain and, and gray. And it was kind of all over the entire peninsula. Now, that's not common, but that's also not something that you would have seen, I, I don't think, 30 years ago for sure. Okay, so another issue that, you know, may be of concern to, to some people, and, and rightfully so, is clearly, you know, expedition yachting, yacht charters have a massive carbon footprint. There's no way of getting around that, right? But, you know, a huge part of what you guys do is going to these places and appreciating that. the nature of that. I mean, clearly for you, given your responses so far, you love the wildlife in these places. You love the beauty, the natural beauty of these places. So what do you guys do to kind of offset the inevitable damage that you do as travelers, that all of us do as travelers. But, you know, what are you doing to kind of offset that and, and work to, to try to preserve these places that you so cherish? Yeah, we are a company of, of passionate people. You know, we all come from the field. We've all been in Antarctica. We've all been in Papua New Guinea. We love it. We want to see it preserved. We want to see it cherished, no, no doubt about it. And so, so it is, we, we're all passionate about these areas. We're all passionate about preserving them and making sure that they are there for generations to come. And we're in a very fortunate position. Yes, of course, going on a yacht, it has a carbon footprint, no doubt about it. We do offset now our internal emissions ourselves, and we are encouraging all of our clients to actively offset their carbon emissions as well. But I think there's a lot more than that. 
we take some of the most you know, influential people in the world to areas that they haven't had much experience with beforehand. And we show them firsthand what's going on and why it's so important. And we instill upon them sort of a passion as well for the area. You know, we provide them the education and we show them why these areas need to be around for years and years to come. And they become these ambassadors for the destination. And we've have clients, of course, that have given back. We were with a client recently, you know, who supported a large foundation for education in Papua New Guinea, you know, and bought, I don't know how many thousands of mosquito nets, you know, for, for the locals, little things like that, or water purification systems. So there's a lot of ways that, that you can do good. We've had clients who have supported now other conservation organizations with resources, with filming, with donations. You know, I think we've probably raised for one conservation organization alone somewhere in the realm of probably $5 million, either in direct donations or in-kind gifts to allow them to continue their work and bring awareness to a much broader group of people. It, it sounds cheesy. It sounds a bit hokey. But I can tell you that I've never seen an area that affects people as much internally and emotionally as, as Antarctica does. So by taking these clients down there who can pick up a call, uh, who can pick up a telephone and call a political leader or a business leader and say, hey, how are your operations, how are your decisions affecting the environment? That's an incredible ability that we have. We're incredibly fortunate to, to have that kind of influence with our clients and then ultimately with the world. Well, I, I have some friends in the safari business who would argue with you on that point and say that uh, safari in Africa is the one experience that would <laughs> have that great of an impact. But it's the same. It's it's actually the same idea. And Absolutely. I think, you know, with a lot of them, they bringing influential people into these places and having them be affected by the magical wildlife, whatever of these destinations, has such a positive long term impact potentially. And I think we've seen with with COVID, with travel shut down, is a lot of the negative impacts that when you take travel, tourism away, then a lot of these places are, are no longer bringing in the funds needed to protect, whether it's wildlife or local communities or, or whatever it is. And, and so I do think your argument is, is very valid. Where, where next? What's, the, what's your next expedition? You know, for me, it's probably going to be uh, going back to Antarctica in December or January. Then actually the next expedition we're organizing is back in Iceland. And it's on this new vessel that I was in Iceland with, which is the, the Nansen Explorer. And it's kind of a, a pretty cool product. It's a, it's a partnership that we've just entered into. This is a former Russian government science or survey vessel that has passed hands over the years and is now being turned into kind of a 12 passenger luxury experience or yacht. And so we're going to be this, uh, the, the, the exclusive partner of the ship. And it was a great experience. This is sort of a different product. It's, it's not a full super yacht, but it's certainly not a commercial ship at all. You know, the outside is rugged and tough. Um, it has an incredibly strong ice class hull, but then you, you walk in past kind of the, the steel outer decks and you enter inside and all of a sudden you have this brand new ship that's been refitted over the last eight months for only 12 people. And you have these huge staterooms with floor to ceiling windows and these you know, enormous showers and you have this chef that was just coming up with the most incredible creations. So that's kind of what one of the next big things for us at EOS is really expanding this, this partnership on Nansen Explorer and bringing her out into the, uh, to the charter market. I think it's going to be a totally unique product that's going to be very, very popular. Well, that sounds absolutely amazing. I am so jealous of your 30 or 40 trips to Antarctica. I need to go and I need to see my first penguin. And when I do, I will think of you. 
Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. It's, it's been fascinating hearing, hearing your stories and, and learning more about these expedition cruises. Well, thank you so much. It's a great pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. And now for the Walden Wrap-Up. I think my favorite thing that Ben talked about today is that element of spontaneity. The ability that these trips have to let you do what's right at the given moment, right? If you're on a big cruise ship, let's face it, you're not able to do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. But with EOS, with this type of trip, you can just follow the Zorkas or you can go hang out with that polar bear for, for 10 hours if you want to. That is the beauty, that spontaneity, that ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And, and I'll say that is a common thread through every episode that we've done with Travel That Matters. I mean, I think back to Will Jones, who runs these, you know, intricate safaris for his company, Journeys by Design. I mean, he plans trips for people like Ralph Lauren and, and Katy Perry, and these are intricately planned affairs. And yet, he told me, all the best stuff happens off plan. Callum Morrison from the Extraordinary Adventure Club, everything he loves about travel is the stuff that you don't expect. Matthew Upchurch, who runs Virtuoso, he said, true luxury is having options. That sense of freedom, that sense of spontaneity, and that's what makes these EOS expeditions such amazing adventures. I'd like to thank Ben Lyons for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information on EOS expeditions and all the destinations that we talked about today, please check out our show notes or visit KurtCo.com. The show is produced for KurtCo Media by AJ Mosley and Dara Stone. Music by Joey Salvia. I'm Bruce Wallen, and we will see you down the road. <laughs>